All right, uh, let me just say one thing before I get into the message. As we look back, Ann and I, the last 15 years, and all of us, uh, we thank God for his faithfulness. We really do. God has been so faithful to us and to this church, and we give him praise. I love the songs we sang this morning because God gets the glory for everything that's happening in this church. It's his church. And one of the things that we started doing when we first came to the church here 15 years ago, we made a decision, and I feel like God directed this, we honor our past, but we celebrate our future. We honor our past, but we celebrate our future. Because we always want to be a church that's facing forward. And that's what I'm going to talk about today is facing forward. We want to be a church and we want to be a people who are facing forward. And when Ann and I came here, the cry of our hearts and our prayer was, Lord, build your church. Lord, build your church. Lord, build your church. And really, that, that should be the, the cry of everyone's heart who's a part of the family of God. Lord, build your church. Lord, build your church. So we're going to talk about a little bit of this today. So let's get right into God's word. I'm going to look at three passages of scripture today. In a few minutes, I'm going to begin in Philippians chapter 3. But in this message today, I, I want to spend several minutes with an introduction. And then real quickly, I want to share three real quick thoughts at the end. Jesus had a really important conversation with his followers one day. And we talked about this not long ago. Jesus pulled his disciples aside. And in, in quick order, here's how it goes. Jesus said, what are people saying about me? Who do they say I am? What's, what is public opinion of me? In our world today, there are a lot of ideas about who Jesus is. The world has got a lot of opinions. You go out in the street corner and take a poll from people passing by, you'll get a lot of different ideas about who is Jesus. Ask him to sum it up in one phrase, who is Jesus? It'd be interesting to see all the answers you get. So the disciples begin to say, well, some say this and some say this and some say this. But then Jesus asked the ultimately important question. Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And I want to ask you that question today. Who do you say Jesus is? In your everyday life, who is Jesus? In your heart, in your mind, in your living who is Jesus? When Jesus asked that question, Peter spoke up and said, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. When he, when he mentioned Christ, he mentions and means the anointed one. The one who the spirit of God is upon. He's really talking about the Messiah. He says, we know you're the Messiah. We know you're going to be the king of all the kings and the Lord of all the lords. And we put you in that place and we recognize you there. And Jesus says to Peter, well, Peter, you're blessed because you didn't come up with that on your own. You didn't read that in a book. Nobody taught you that. It's been revealed to you by my father in heaven. But then Jesus goes on to say, and upon that rock, I will build my church the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, this is a part of my introduction today because I want you to stop and think with me. When I ask you the question, who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? What do you say? Do you say he's the Christ, the son of the living God? Or do you have some other metaphor, some other title for Jesus? You see, who Jesus is 
is the foundation of the church. Let that soak in for a moment. Who Jesus is, is the foundation of the church. Ephesians 2 says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now, let me explain that real quickly. In ancient days, one of the things they would do when they were about to build a building, just like today, they would start with the foundation. And when they would begin to put down the stones for the foundation, they would put down the first stone, and it was called the chief cornerstone. It was a a stone that was chiseled out perfectly. It was exactly the shape it needed to be because that one stone would be a model, a scaled-down model of the whole building. And so they would call it the chief cornerstone because once that stone was in place, they could look at it and they could figure out how to lay the rest of the foundation so that it matched that stone. It had the same dimensions. It was equal on all sides the way it should be. And then they would know how to build up on that foundation. So what it tells us is as believers... Jesus Christ is our chief cornerstone. If you want to know what your life should look like, it needs to be built on Jesus. If you want to know what your life should look like, you should look at Jesus and say, my life needs to look like Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone. I need to be a copy of him. But not only that, who Jesus is, is not only the foundation of the church. Who Jesus is needs to be the foundation for our lives. For my life, for your life. Our lives really begin to change when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when we begin to embrace him as both Savior and Lord of our lives. That's when life changes. He's not just my Savior, he's my Lord. Let me explain that to you. Jesus, the Savior, deals with my past. Jesus, the Savior, wipes away all the mistake, all the sin, and he sets me in right standing with God. In simple terms, Jesus pays the price for my sins. When I accept that, it's applied to my life, and I'm in right standing with God. But Jesus, the Lord, brings an abundant life to me that I begin to live right now, and I can live it throughout eternity with him. I need the Savior, but I need the Lord. Now, as you know, almost every sermon I get just a little bit into the cracks of where we live. Some guys say, I'm going to get in the kitchen for a minute. I'm going to get in the kitchen here for just a moment. Some of us tend to get stuck with Jesus the Savior. We want the Savior. We want the Savior. Because we want eternal life and we don't want to go to hell. How many here today do not want to go to hell? Okay? Even though it's a little cool outside this morning, I do not want to. Some of you haven't been convinced yet, okay? Uh, You you will. Well, we get stuck because we want a Savior. We don't want to go to hell and we want to live forever. But by embracing Jesus as my Lord, it creates a relationship with God that gives us a new God-filled life right now. And we still have the hope of life eternal. I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. So when I accept Christ as my Savior and Lord, he gives me a new life path. and He turns me facing forward on that path. And my journey with him begins. And hopefully, you're on that journey now. So to summarize what I've shared thus far, the church is people. We are the church. You and I are the church. Church is not a building. Church is where we meet. Church building is where we meet. We are the church. The church 
is people. And in order, now get this, in order for Jesus to build his church, and let me pause a minute. How many of you want to see Jesus keep building his church? Do you want to see that? In order for Jesus to build his church, Jesus has to build people. He has to build up people. He has to create his nature, his signature upon us, that we begin to look like him. In November of 2008, when Ann and I first came to pastor the church, be 15 years next month, we'd been here just a month, we got an invitation to go to a senior's dinner at one of the members' homes, and there were a lot of seniors gathered there. They had a Thanksgiving dinner. It was the week just before Thanksgiving. Really a fun time. Got to visit with everyone. I already knew most of them, but there were a few of them I didn't really know well. So I got a chance to hang out and visit and just talk about church. And that night, they asked us to share at that meeting. Now, they knew us already. We'd been on staff here years earlier. They knew a little bit about who we were and what we are, but they wanted to hear a little bit about what we had to say about coming back to this church. And so, in all honesty and sincerity, I just really sensed that God was setting a moment. And I stood before those seniors and I said to them, I honor you guys. I honor you for the sacrifices you've made to build a church for the sacrifices you've made financially to finance this building and and the facility we have here, to pour your life into this, we honor you tonight. And we say thank you for all you've done. But I said, I want to go one step further. And I used a little different language, but what I said was, we want to build a church that's facing forward. We want to build a church that's looking into the future not just the past. We don't want to be building monuments to what God used to do. We want to create life around what God is doing right now. And so I I use this phrase. I said, we want to build a generational church, multi-generational church. We want to build a church that never loses its steam, that just goes from generation to generation because people are understanding their roles. They're growing, they're maturing. And when it's time for grandpas to be grandpas, they'll be grandpas. When it's time for new children to rise up and be adults, they can rise up and carry the church. That's the kind of church we want to build. And I said, in order to do that, we're going to have to make some adjustments. And I talked about music. I talked about the way people dress. I talked about even the volume of music, and that's still a touchy one today, especially if you sit down front where I sit. But I looked at these precious older people who were older than me. Remember, I'm in midlife. They were older people, okay? I looked at these precious people, and I said to them, we want to build a church that reaches your children and your grandchildren. That's the kind of church we want to build. And it was so amazing to see them jump on board and say, you know what? If it'll reach my kids and my grandkids who are not serving God, go for it. Go for it. And that began to shift the direction for this church. You see, a generational church is a relevant church. It's relevant to all peoples. It's relevant to all ages of society. 
New seasons evolve, they come and go, but so does the church. It's always evolving and it's healthy as long as it is facing forward. Now let me tell you another story. I grew up in a great church. When I was a kid, a little kid back in the, it don't matter what years it was, it <laughs> makes me sound old. When I was a little kid, I was a part of a church that was a strong church. It ran anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people from my childhood to my teenage years. So back then, it was a pretty strong church. Had a lot of strengths. Of course, it had weaknesses because it was made up of people. How many of you know if you make anything up of people, it's going to have some weaknesses? That's, that's the church. But this church was so vibrant because they had leaders from every generation. They had old leaders, they had middle-aged leaders, they had young leaders, and everybody knew their role, and they were building a church for the day and for the future looking forward. They had the young people involved in the church, they were allowing them to preach the gospel, to sing, to be a part of what was going on, and it was a multi-generational church, and man, that, that place was so exciting. I went into the ministry, a new pastor came, a lot of things happened, but two major things, number one, the church refused to move its facility when it needed to. And we're, don't, don't worry, we're not moving anywhere today. Uh, but they refused to move the facility when the area began to change and, and was no longer fitting the demographic. But the bigger thing that happened was a new pastor came and the church decided we're going to live like this. We're going to celebrate the past. We're going to live in the past. We're going to go back there and reach back 10 years and do what we were doing 10 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago. In some cases, 30 years ago. We're going back, 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 and we're going to try to keep recreating the future. And as long as we are looking back there trying to recreate the future, that means the, or recreate the past, that means the future will look like the past. That was their thinking. The church began to die. It began to die. It began to die. Probably five years ago, I was there, about five years ago, maybe six years ago, I was there for one of the final services they had. And what once was an auditorium with a thousand seats, all the seats had been ripped out and they had less than a hundred chairs set up in the building. A few weeks later, they closed it. And they're getting ready to demolish it and do something else there. The church died because they were backward facing trying to recreate the past instead of taking the next generation and help them mature and grow and go into the future. To this day, it breaks my heart. Every now and then when I get back over in that area and I drive through, I drive by the old church and they're getting ready to tear it down. Getting ready to tear it down and build other things there. And it's not because of progress, it's because things digressed. Now, I share all that to tell you this. That church had a, by the time they closed it, it had about a 70-year history. All that died because they stopped facing forward and started facing backward. But can I tell you something else? Here's the sadder part. A church like that can't die unless people, spiritually, start facing backward, living in the past. Living, holding on to what's behind them. So today, in the next few minutes, three things I'm going to share real quickly. Look at Philippians chapter 3. How many enjoyed the introduction this morning? 
I told you, long introduction, short message. Here we go. Philippians chapter 3. This is probably my favorite verse personally, my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Here's what Paul says. Brethren, I'm talking to you today, brothers, sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I haven't totally got there yet, but I'm working on it. I have not yet apprehended everything God has. But notice what he says. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I am reaching to those things which are ahead. Let's pause here just a moment. This is what it means to be forward-facing. I'm not going to get stuck in yesterday. The good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it might be. I'm not going to get stuck there. I'm not going to get turned this way or this way. I'm not going to get turned until I'm looking back and I'm not dealing with the future and what's coming next. I'm going to live my life looking forward because there's nothing living in the past. Nothing back there. Paul says, one thing I do, I forget what's back there. I deal with what's back there. I get it settled and take care of it. But then I let go of it and I move on and I begin to reach ahead to what God's put in front of me. Verse 14, he says this. I press toward the goal. Has anybody in the room stopped pressing? It's a dangerous place to be. One of the reasons why we stop pressing forward is because we're rear focused. We're worried about what's back there or worried about what's over there and what's over there. Jesus said the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches cause us to get stuck here and we stop looking forward. In order for a church to be facing forward, people have to be facing forward. Now, let's read on. Verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, as long as we have breath, God wants to do something for us, in us, and through us. And if I ever lay any of that down, I start living in the past, I start looking sideways, and I lose my focus and I take my eyes off of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Paul had a lot to forget. Failures. He persecuted the church. He wanted to kill Christians. He had some Christians killed. He had some ugly battles. He had a lot of pain back there. But when he took it to the cross, he left it there and he began to turn and look forward and move forward into the things God had for him. See, a lot of us would probably have given up if we'd been like Paul. But now, years later, after Paul has been changed and he's preaching the gospel, Paul says, every day I live doing one thing, forgetting about what was back there yesterday, I'm reaching to what God's put in front of us. Let me tell you something today. You need to know, as being the church of Jesus Christ, you need to know, being a part of the Bridge Church, we're not living back there, we're not going back there, we're not staying back there, we're going forward because God has plans for us. He's got plans. Now, the challenges of life have a way of grabbing our attention. They have a way of turning us in the wrong direction. And if we're not careful, our growth... And our progress gets stymied. But today I'm challenging every believer here. I'm challenging everybody listening online and listening to this message. I challenge everyone who hears this today. 
Look where your face is. Look which direction you are, appear, you are, are looking. Look around and see where your vision is fixed. Wherever your eyes are fixed, that's where your life is going. And if it's anywhere but forward, you're dealing with things that are dead. It's time to turn it loose and start moving forward. This is good preaching this morning. Now, you see, Paul chose to allow God to help him release the past so he could reach for the future. And really, that's what the Lordship of Jesus does. It keeps us turned in the right direction, facing forward, not backward. And you see, when my attention is focused to the right, to the left, or behind me, I cease to see the path that God has set before me. Now listen to this. It's almost as if Paul is saying every day, I get out of bed and I ask the Lord, okay, what's next? What's next? There's some stuff behind me that's not settled. Then get it settled today, turn loose of it, get faced forward, and start following Jesus. Because that's where he's going. Jesus isn't living back there. Jesus is moving forward. Well, this is good. Some people really... Let me ask you a question. What is it that's got you anchored to the past? What is it you can't let go of? What is it that's behind you that you just live your life looking back, shaking, trembling, angry, hurt, discouraged, saying, well, I can't, I can't, I can't. Why can't you? Jesus came to liberate you from that. You don't, I don't care what's behind you. You don't have to live as a victim. You can live as a victor if you'll put it all in the hands of Jesus and walk away from it. He'll change everything. He'll change everything. Number two, 2 Corinthians 3. And I told you I'm going to preach a really short message. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, verse 18. And I'm going to jump in the middle of the statement because I don't have time to teach through all of it. Paul says, but we all, all of us, with an unveiled face, being able to look into the glory of God. He says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, Now get this. He says, you look in God's mirror and you don't see you. You see the glory that God wants to develop in you and place in your life. Think about that. You look in God's mirror. He doesn't show you your face. He shows you the face of Jesus. I can do this in you. I can develop this nature, this character. I can do things for you, in you, and through you. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, number one, facing forward is always concerned with the future. Number two, facing forward creates growth. It brings me face to face with Jesus. It helps me understand. He wants to work in me more, do new things, more things. And he has plans for my life. And so we, we are changed. We're changed a little bit at a time. He develops more of his nature and then a little more and then a little more. And then he shows us some more. He develops that and then he shows us some more. We keep looking in God's mirror and we keep realizing God's not finished with me. Why? Because we're facing forward. If you're living in the past, you don't want to change anything. All you have is a bunch of religion and you hope you get in by the skin of your teeth. God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to live a life where the nature of Jesus is being developed in us. That's what he's trying to do. And the older I get, the more finicky God gets. I mean, I, 
being in midlife, I can't imagine what it's going to be like in old age. But he's so finicky. He just keeps working on me. You know, let me just throw this in here. There's a great danger that lies in complacency. When we start living in yesterday's commitment to God, we put ourselves in a dangerous place. That's religion. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. In the Old Testament, when Israel's going through the wilderness, they got hungry and God said, you know what? I know there's no food out here. I'm going to feed you. So what I'm going to do is every morning when you get up, you go out and and when the frost or when the the dew begins to lift, there's going to be manna on the ground. Actually, God didn't call it manna. They called it manna. But he said, the cool thing about manna is everybody's going to like its taste. The kids are going to like it. Grandpas and grandmas are going to like it. Everybody, it tastes good. It tastes good. He said, what I want you to do is go out and get your big bowl for the family and get enough manna to last for a day. It'll bring nourishment to you. It'll sustain you for the day. But don't keep it overnight because I have more manna for you tomorrow. So what happened was Israel went out and they saw it and they tasted it. And they said, hey, this tastes good. Everybody said, yeah, I like it. That's good stuff. So what did they do? They took a bowl and they got another bowl and they got another bowl and they went and put it on the shelf. And the next morning they got up and said, hey, let's go have some more of that manna we got yesterday. And when they went in there, it had rotted and there were worms in it. And the only way to get more manna was to go out and pick it up off the ground because God had new manna. It's amazing how many people live their lives trying to eat old manna from 30 years ago. It's on the shelf. It stinks. It's full of worms. And the reason they're doing it is because they're facing backward instead of facing forward. Let me tell you something. God is still feeding his children today and he has what you need right now. So don't settle for yesterday. Eat what he has today. Pardon me for getting excited. Even the Old Testament tells us God does new things. Every morning, his mercies are new. Don't live in the past. Don't live in yesterday. God's got what you need today. Turn around, face forward. Get on your feet and start moving. Third thing, last thing, real brief. Facing forward always keeps me in stride with God. Luke chapter 9. I wish I could teach this whole section. It's so good, but I've got to get down just the end. Luke 9, verse 61, it says, And another, another person came to Jesus and said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Isn't it interesting how there's always some little detail that keeps us from turning and facing forward? It's not always big stuff. Sometimes it's little stuff. This guy says, oh, I'm going to follow you, but first got to go home and tell all the family goodbye. You know what Jesus said to him? Verse 62, Jesus says, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, most of us don't know what plows are, okay? It's what they used to pull behind an animal. And the animal would walk and they would hold the plow and it had this big point that would go down to the ground, break up the ground. They would come back and put in seed in the ground, cover it up, water it, and stuff would grow. It's called gardens and it produced what we call food that you see in the grocery store. That's how they did it in the old days. I know I'm talking to a young audience. Here's what Jesus said. If you take hold of the plow 
You got to keep looking straight so you keep your donkey or your mule or whatever's pulling the plow, the ox. You got to keep straight ahead, focus on a point. Because if you don't, you'll get off point. You'll start going over here or you start going back here. And first thing you know, you're plowing circles. So Jesus said, now listen, once you grab the plow, once you start following me, Jesus said, don't be looking over your shoulder. Keep your eyes focused straight ahead. Be forward facing. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus said, if you grab the plow and then you start plowing like this, looking over your shoulder, considering the past and the left and the right and all this stuff, Jesus says you're not fit for the kingdom of God. The word fit literally means you're not positioned to do kingdom business. You see, I can't do God's business looking back there because God's working today. He's working from here forward. And if I'm looking back there and all I can think about is, well, how do I save what's back there? God says, forget about it. I'm going to do new things that are better than what you've seen back there. I'm going to do something that this world, this nation, this city, this county, this state, God knows our state needs it. God wants to bring a move of God that changes people's hearts. But it's not back there. It's up here in front of us. we got to pursue it. Jesus in Luke 17 one day is talking. He's talking to these people and he says, remember Lot's wife. Some of you don't know who Lot's wife is. Don't really get her name. It's just she was Lot's wife. Interesting thing is God was about to rain fire and brimstone on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding areas. All the towns and villages in that area. They were so unrighteous, so ungodly. They'd gotten so filthy and so far from God, they had no conscience towards God. So God's going to destroy him. But Abraham has a nephew who's named as Lot. And, he, and God sent angels, and the angels went and warned Lot, you need to get your wife, your family, your daughters, their husbands, get out of this city. Scripture actually says that the son-in-laws laughed at him like he was crazy. Kind of sounds like our world today. But Lot took his wife and his daughters and slipped out, got out of that city before destruction came. The next day, as they are still traveling to get away, they look over their shoulders and the place is just being bombarded with fire and brimstone. God said, when you leave that place, don't turn and look back. Let me tell you something. When you leave a life of sin, don't turn and look back. Don't consider whether or not you need to go visit. You turn away from it and you walk away. Because it says that as, as Lot's wife walked this pathway, she decided, well, I need to take one more look. And when she turned around and set her gaze on the past, on that wicked city, when she did, she became a pillar of salt and died immediately. Well, that's a horrible thing. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. Look forward. Am I positioned? Are you positioned to receive from and give to the kingdom of God? My time is gone. But I want to ask you in closing, what's holding you back? What keeps pulling you back? What turns your attention there? What turns your attention there? Because you see, if we're going to be a, a, a church that's forward-facing, it's going to consist of people who were forward-facing. What keeps pulling you aside? I want you to bow your heads. I want to pray for you. Our team's going to come out. We're going to do one more song in a moment.
I'm going to pray for you. Father, I ask you today to let the Spirit of God do what only you can do, and that's touch our hearts, grab our attention, help us understand you're still here, you're still working, but you don't want us to be stuck in yesterday. You want us to release it, turn loose of it, turn and face you, and follow you. God, do this work in our hearts. Convince us today. It's okay to turn loose of the past. It's okay to stop living back there and start moving into the future you have for us. God, I ask you to do that work in my heart, in my life today. God, I ask you to knock on the door of every person sitting here listening to this today, even those watching online. Knock on our hearts right now and convince us it's time to turn loose of the past, face forward, and start moving forward with you. God, I'm praying today, build your church, build me. Build your church, build me. If you would this morning, stand to your feet. We're going to worship God. We're going to sing one more song before we're finished today. But I want you to do this with me. Say, God, this is my prayer. Come on, say it. God, this is my prayer. Build your church. Build me. Build your church. Build me. Let's worship God with this song. Yeah. 
talking with his disciples the story I started with he said I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it just imagine our world with just two big cities walled cities with gates and they're about to be attacked one by the other Jesus said the kingdom of God will suffer the attack of the enemy but the gates of hell will not prevail against it we're gonna win this battle this battle is our it's our victory it's ours to win look at it in the eyes of eternity the kingdom of darkness is fighting for the eternal souls of people but Jesus has built a place where we can come and find life and eternal life in him I want to be in that church that that's where I want to be I want to be with God's people maybe you're here today and, and maybe you've never settled in your heart You've wrestled with him being a savior, but you've never really settled in your heart. He needs to be my Lord. I want to pray for you today. I'm going to pray for everybody in the house. But I want you to wrap your heart around this prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you today. We need you. We need you. I ask today that we can make a commitment to you where we open our hearts and say, I need Jesus to be my savior. But I also invite Jesus. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want to quit living back there. I want to turn around, follow you, see you leading me into life eternal, into a brand new life that starts right now. God, I want to start that journey. I accept Jesus as my Savior, full payment for my sins. I claim Jesus as the Lord of my life. Father, from this moment on, you're my God and I'm your child. Teach me your ways. I will follow you. Build me. Build me into the image of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, here it is. If you prayed that prayer, you never prayed it before, or you've never prayed it seriously, and you realize it's time to follow Jesus, we want to help you get started. We have a little book called The Next Seven Days, simple reading for the next week. We want to give it to you. We'll have teams here at the front of the building to pray with you when service is over for any need you might have. If you just walk up to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you, no strings attached. 
If you've got questions, they can answer questions. If you need prayer, they'll pray with you. If you're in a big rush, out in the lobby, right in the middle of the glass doors where you exit, there's a counter set up there with a screen. You'll see it there the next seven days. We want to give you this booklet and get you started walking with God. This is not the end of your journey. It's just the beginning. Hey, we love you. We appreciate you so much. Have you enjoyed being in church today? It's been a good day for me. Thank you for letting me preach a short, a short sermon with a long introduction. It's been a good day. We celebrate the future God has for us. Let's be forward-facing people. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.